Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, okay. Welcome back to Talking Knicks. We got a good one this week. The Knicks are surprisingly good, in quotation marks, and with a question mark at the end of it. I'm joined by my my brother Ken, my friend Tom, and my friend Big Baby David. So hey boys, let's talk Knicks. Well, all right. Let's get after it. So the Knicks had a two and one week. So I assume everyone had a pretty good week and there was New Year's mixed in there, but before jumping to assumptions, let's let's see let's see how everyone's doing. Tom, how are you? Hey guys, great to be here. I'm doing well. I, I had a really nice week off from work this past week. In, in between Christmas and New Year's, I, I had a whole bunch of nothing to do. And uh that was that was really nice. It was much needed. I know I'm I'm kind of talking out of school here because I think you guys worked a lot. It was sort of your busy season, but I, on the other hand, um, I was not busy, so I, I got to go visit my my twin brother and his wife and their one year old, my niece, uh, for for New Year's Eve, and we we spent a nice evening together, mostly just playing board games. is good, wholesome fun. Um, but yeah, we I so I did miss one of the Knicks games on New Year's Eve. Actually, didn't get a chance to watch that. I only watched the highlights. Saw the other two though, so I'm ready to talk about it. Let's do it. There were highlights to that game. <laughs> it was short. I, Kenny, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, like Tom said, this last month was a doozy for me at work. That's why I haven't been on in a while. But uh, glad to be back. Glad to be hanging out. I think uh, that's all in the past now. So ready to move forward. Hakuna Matata. Happy to have you. BBD, how, how are you, my friend? Doing well. Had few days off here i think tomorrow being monday i think it's first time back in the office since last tuesday question mark so a few days off here or not having to commute at least the knicks are doing good stuff considering it's the knicks and uh we'll get to it later but i'm making great progress on gilmore girls so it's a pretty good week for me <laughs> greg how was how was your new year's I, you you moved right yeah, I'm in New York City now. Moved into my apartment. Um, it was good. I just hung out, watched the Knicks, and then went to went to sleep. Um, I, I was awake at midnight, but I was laying in my bed. So it's perfect. I mean, last year I was at partying. It's a little different. So that was pretty irresponsible. Hmm. No, no, we didn't know. No, I don't. I don't you think had so. to know the risk we were running by being at a party. January 2020. Now I do, and I will never party. I shall party no more forever. Mm. Um, okay. It's a perfect segue to the Knicks. Uh, <laughs> Knicks started this week with the Cavaliers, then they played the Raptors, then they played the Pacers. On last episode of Talking Knicks, we did our predictions, what was going to happen this week. I said, 
I thought they'd probably go two and one and beat the Cavs, lose to the Raptors, and beat the Pacers. I was just guessing, but then that happened exactly as it as it happened. So, you know, if you if you need to bet on stuff next week, you should just listen to what I say at the end of this episode. And so let's get into it. The Cavs game, first game of the week. We play the Cavaliers, who coming into this game three and zero somehow. We don't know. They got uh, Isaac Okoro was injured for this one. He was a guy we were thinking about picking, but uh, the Cavs picked him before we had the shot, and we got topping. Anyways, this game starts out hot. Knicks start out hot, 29-15 first quarter. And that pretty much was was the end of the game. Um, the Knicks were awful. The Cavs were somehow even more awful than that. Knicks win this game by nine. So the 14-point lead after one quarter was was big time. The big story in this one was the Knicks turned the ball over 25 times. Almost impossible to do in a win. And the Knicks got off 79 shots, and the Cavaliers got off 88. So a good recipe of, of winning a basketball game is to just take more shots than the other team. But in this instance... Didn't work out. The Knicks, on, Knicks somehow pulled this one out. So I'll, I'll throw it to Tom. Tom, this was one of the games you watched this week. So what were the, what were the big storylines, or what do you want to talk about in this one? Yeah, so I sent the tweet out that, like, if I had known going into it that the Knicks would shoot 37% from two, that they'd shoot 61.9% from free throw line, and that they'd turn the ball over 25 times, I think no chance that they'd possibly even be in this one. But... Uh, I think that the story was a couple things. First of all, they shot 56% from three. They were 14 of 25. So they hit twice as many threes as the Cavs. Um, so when you're you know, plus 21 from behind the arc, you're going to have a pretty good shot. You're at least going to be in it. And then the other story was Julius Randle, um, who's been pretty much incredible all season. He He was a big contributor to those 25 turnovers. He had nine himself. But he also had a, a solid triple-double with the 28 points, 11 assists, 12 boards, and he was just pretty much unstoppable. He was 4 of 4 from 3. And, um, yeah, I'd say, like, he played 44 minutes in this game, so he, uh, clearly Thibodeau thought that he was kind of uh, necessary throughout as well. And then the only other guy for the Knicks who played in the 40s was Reggie Bullock at 41 minutes, who I know is kind of just like a defensive stop stopper on Colin Sexton, who's sort of been the Cavs guy this year. Um, held him. He, he did. Sexton got twenty points, but he was on six of seventeen shooting, and I know Bullock made life kind of hard for him. So those were kind of the two horses that we rode um, to this victory. In addition to just some solid three point shooting, Knox hit both of his threes. Alfred Payton somehow hit two of four. Reggie Bullock, like I mentioned, hit five and nine from three. So it was just overall a good shooting night from uh, from behind the arc from everybody aside from Reggie or from from R J Barrett rather. And I'm sure we'll get more into him later. Yeah, and if we want to talk about uh, how you win a game when you shoot that poorly and turn the ball over, while the Knicks shot nine less shots, they made two more than the Cavaliers, who shot an abysmal 36.4% from the field and 21.9% from three to go along with 68.2% from free throws. So you got to give some credit to the Knicks defense for at least uh, you know making life more difficult, although I think Tom had some statistics on uh, open threes and wide open threes for the Knicks. So maybe some of it's luck, but I got to believe that some of it's just 
you know, the, the Thibodeau coming in and instilling a defense that, you know, at least to the eye, I see some good rotations every now and then. There are some lapses here and there, but they look much improved from last year when they just look terrible all the time. Yeah, I mean, real quick, just to Kenny's point, like I did look at those stats as NBA.com tells you like how many wide open threes uh, teams give up. And I mean, it's all about giving up the wide open threes to the right guys. So like Larry Nance Jr. had five wide open threes and missed all five of them. So it's like, well, that's the right guy you want. You want missing him. Um, in general, I think they did a good job of, of spotting who who should get those threes and you know chetty osman i don't think he's normally going to go oh of five from behind the arc like he did in this game but um in general i think that the knicks were, were smart and, and kenny's right you do have to credit their defense yeah and the big men in this one um drummond came out early and he was he was dominating the game really i think he had eight points pretty early uh maybe the Cavs' first six points, and he only ended the game with 18 overall. And JaVale McGee off the bench was the catalyst. He ended up with 11 on 5-for-7 shooting. But the Cavs were too reliant on their guards, like Kenny said, uh, and Tom, that we were able to, to more or less shut down Sexton and Garland for, for most of the game. I know toward the end of the game they kind of got it going where Sexton's mid-range was, was looking pretty nice. Um, making you a little nervous that they might make a comeback just because we're the Knicks. And, Hmm. of course, we would probably blow the game. But it seems that Thibodeau got these guys to close out a game, which was was nice. So, BBD, what were you seeing in this game? Yeah, the other – I mean, we touched on a lot of it. Obviously, Randall was good. One turnover away from a quadruple double. He gets (laughs) the triple double. Um. The other the other stat line that kind of stood out was just Reggie Bullock. He hit, you know, five of nine from three and nine boards, so or seven boards rather. Overall, certainly his best game of the season so far. Maybe his best overall game as a Nick. Got to check that. Uh, but just in general, I mean, the, the the real difference was just the Knicks hitting their threes and the Cavs didn't. The Knicks hit double the amount of threes on, you know, fewer attempts than the Cavs took. So when you hit seven more threes than the other team, that, that usually helps to a nine-point win. The anatomy of an upset, as we've said, make more threes. Then just hit all your three-pointers, and you can win a game against anybody. So Yeah, talk- we probably should say just real quick that Alec Burks was out this game, and I think that kind of led mm-hmm. to this strange minutes distribution where you had guys like Barrett was at 39, Alfred Payton was at 36, um, you know, and we only had three guys coming off the bench in this one, each of them playing 16 minutes apiece. That was Kevin Knox, Nerlens Noel, and Frank Nielakina. Um, I don't know. I really liked, like, all the bench guys. Granted, they only played 16 minutes each, but, like, they all came out with a lot of energy. I thought that Knox was super aggressive and just looked like an NBA player. He ended up hitting, um, he was two or three from the field, hit both uh, of his three-pointers, and just in general looked aggressive and confident. And I thought the same thing for Frank. Who um, who finished just with five points, three assists to his one turnover, um, a couple steals, and in general just had the right mentality. It's what you want to see from the reserve guys, even though they didn't get a ton of minutes. I, I thought it was encouraging from the from the two young guys there. Yeah, and in Still addition Burke. to Burks, in addition to Burks being out, we were also missing Dennis Smith Jr. and Austin Rivers. And I wouldn't say I was Omar's- missing Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Omari Spellman was also technically out. So that's that's kind of the they reason they only went with DSJ's these eight guys. Minutes. Yeah. So 
I thought it was interesting when Bullock got 41. So we'll see where those minutes end up if when everybody gets healthy, if that ever happens on this team. We seem to be having a, a revolving door of injuries. I, I Just think overall, it's... nobody like nobody outside of RJ's overall shooting and shooting from deep kind of no, just nobody did badly overall at least statistically uh, and i don't recall anything negative from the game not that there was that much like standout performances outside of randall's triple double everyone else is just like pretty good it's a good team effort yeah and, and we mentioned all those turnovers and i think that even more important is just like what resulted from those turnovers so the knicks gave up 27 points off of turnovers to the Cavs, giving up just 11 so the Cavs were up, you know, plus 16 there in the in the points off turnovers category. So like, you know, there were a lot of indicators that would have made you think that the Knicks had lost this game, but it's it's a like we've said before it's a make or miss league and the Knicks just hit more more of those threes, so that's Finished that's out. the story. That's that's it. Hmm. And one more thing, Alfred Payton was was good, but I mean he came back down to earth after being the greatest player we've ever seen in the in the previous game. Um, but, I mean, his, his jumper wasn't – his mid-range jumper slash floater weren't the same as they were in that other game. I think this was more of the Alfred Payton we expected to see. He wasn't bad, but he was just carrying the – not carrying the team, but he was just carrying the flow of the offense and making sure everything was was okay. And, I mean, yeah, he, he knocked, yeah. down, knocked down a big three as well. Exactly. Like, I thought the, the, like, he, go ahead, BBD. Just a kind of the normal, like – 80th percentile good Alfred Payton game. Yeah, to me, it seemed like he came out like pressing a little bit, like he had those expectations. And so he did turn the ball over a lot. It was five times in this game to just seven to his seven assists. But I think he scored 10 of his 14 points in the fourth quarter, if I'm not, if I'm remembering correctly. And he did show a lot of poise down the stretch and was a big reason why they won. Did hit two three pointers as well, which, uh, that has been kind of the biggest complaint among Knicks fans is just how bad he's been at shooting threes. And, you know, I don't think that this makes up for his shooting woes or makes us think that, you know, he's going to be a consistent shooter in the future. But him, he's been making a couple of threes here and there the last few games. So positive improvements, you know. On the season, his three-point shooting is starting to look like a good number. It's still a very small sample, but now he's hit six of 14 after the next couple games that we'll talk about in a minute here. Another perfect segue. We're onto the Raptors against the Knicks on new year's Eve. This one was, it was okay for a little bit and then it was just bad. Um, the Knicks hung around for, you know, a while, only down seven, going into the fourth quarter against the Raptors. The Knicks were actually winning, or it was it was tied at halftime, and then the Knicks were were winning in the third quarter, and then the Raptors just just made their run, and the run just really didn't stop until the game ended. Um, ended up losing one hundred to eighty three. No like superstar performances in this one. The Raptors were playing in Tampa. Uh, Kevin Knox looked pretty good. This he was five for fourteen, which wasn't. It's not the best shooting percentage, but he looked good. He looked aggressive, ended up with 16 points. I think he had some family in attendance, so they're just like us. You know, you got your, your family there. You, you play good. Hmm. So, so I mean, I, I this one wasn't the most fun game that we've ever watched. Um, Kenny, since Tom didn't watch this one in real time, I'll, I'll defer to you. 
I did watch it in real time, and uh, I think I mentioned to you guys, but like the Knicks played solid ball, like not great ball, but solid ball for most of the game. With uh, seven minutes and fifty six seconds left in the game, the score was seventy six to seventy three. So they had cut it to a three point lead, and then they lost by seventeen. So that last just under eight minutes was pretty ugly. But you know, I. I've been saying it for at least to you guys. I haven't been on the pod in a while, but like they look like a better team. And, you know, to be able to, I know the Raptors were at that point winless, but they are, you know, historically the last few years, one of the better teams in the East. And the Knicks were hung with them for most of the game until they, that fourth quarter collapsed. So, you know, the hope is that there's less of that and the Knicks just play better than they did last year. Yeah, and the big storyline of this one that I missed was the Knicks' three-point shooting was, I assume, historically bad. I, I, I bet there's someone who's never who didn't make any three-pointers in a game, but the Knicks went three for 36, which is good enough for 8.3%. Their starters were Julius Randle, 0 for 4, Reggie Bullock, 0 for 9, Mitchell Robinson, 0 for 0, Alfred Payton, 0 for 2, R.J. Barrett, 0 for 8. It's just an offer from your starters from the three-point line. Just <laughs> that, un, un, unheard of. Oh my! I think God. they. I don't know if that, it was. That, I don't know if it was from the field or from three, but at one point they were zero for twenty in a row, and then I think Austin Rivers hit a three. Yeah. So I mean, the offer from the starting lineup, I'm, I'm willing to say, is historically bad. And, and I, I also and I believe the uh, the number that came out after was the Knicks were. I think one for 21 in the whole game on wide open threes. So shoot a little under 5% on wide open threes. It's not really how you win a game. No, like, man. I mean, it's it's kind of the opposite story as what happened in against the Cavs where like, I felt like the Knicks maybe got outplayed in a lot of facets of the game, but they hit just enough threes to pull that one out. I mean, this one, the Knicks got outscored by 42 points from behind the arc. That's uh, that is really difficult to overcome. I don't know how like they're that is just shocking. Um, so I don't know. Granted, I didn't watch this game, so I don't have a whole lot more to say about it other than that. But I do wonder kind of how they were able to hang in for that long, because as you mentioned, Kenny, like it was close in the fourth quarter still, despite that wretched shooting. So how were they even in this game? So I. I don't, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, because I, it's you know, it's been a few days since since New Year's Eve, and it was New Year's Eve, so a little partying going on. Respect. Not not really, um, but the so Raptors cool. were shooting very bad as well, and then for that last eight minutes, the Raptors hit a bunch of threes, I believe. You guys remember that, BBD and Greg? I think so. It did. F- I, I just remember feeling like it felt like the Raptors were just not pulling away for various reasons when like it did feel like the Knicks had no business being in the game as long as they were like they were they weren't doing the wrong things shots just weren't falling and I think I think entering the game the Knicks had the highest three-point shooting percentage overall like in the league which was never going to keep up so it was a little bit of regression to the mean like they weren't going to keep you wouldn't expect it to go to re- regress all the way back to the mean in one game but uh, <laughs> but yeah they were due to to miss a few especially after the Cavs game specifically yeah, it yeah just, I mean, the just, Raptors finally pulled away in the fourth just get your 
get your misses out of the way in one game if you're going to lose anyway. So Yeah, it looks like there was one point where the Raptors made three straight threes. And having been playing so poorly the entire game, that didn't help. I suppose the uh, another thing, changing subjects slightly, that we should discuss from the game is the Raptors did bench Siakam. So they didn't have the guy who probably is their best player. I guess I guess Lowry is, might be the other argument there. But uh, not having him, I'm sure, also played a part in the Knicks just staying close by for a while. Was that an injury thing or like a COVID thing or what was the deal with it was, that? It was a disciplinary thing because against, was it the Celtics the game before? He left the court like 30 seconds early after fouling out and didn't stay on the bench. Um, so they were... They're mad at him for that, I believe. Is the story. That is a rough season. <laughs> Siakam has not been doing so hot, huh? That's that's pretty pretty brutal. Kind of wish he and played. This is the, the Raptors' only win of the year thus far. There's a lot of a lot of fun Siakam's ducking Julius Randle tweets. Yeah, I mean he's shooting thirty nine percent from the field this year, twenty eight percent from three. This these are some ugly stats he's putting up. So. Yeah, maybe it wouldn't have hurt so much to have him in the in the lineup yeah. there. Checks out with what the Raptors' record is that he's been bad, so they've been pretty bad so far. I guess the only other guy I'd want to talk about on this one, just based on the box score alone, is is Kevin Knox, who you know took the. I mean, he took a lot of more field goal attempts. Certainly, he was five of fourteen from the field, two of eight from three. That's not great in terms of efficiency. He was also four of five from the free throw line. So it just seems like. He was uh, super aggressive getting his, getting to his shots and finished with 16 points. Um, I don't know. Was do the numbers? Do they back up? Kind of. Did he look good? I don't know. He did. He did look good. He was aggressive compared to and, the other I mean, Knicks. Yeah, I mean, he looked better early, and then he was just he was missing some shots that he should have made. Uh, but his his aggression was good, and happy to see it. Yeah, I'd say if you um, if you saw him in the last game against uh, the Pacers, that's pretty much what he did. Like he looked like a solid NBA player that deserves to be on on an NBA team. He he looks like he knows what he's supposed to do, and it's not overwhelming for him. Even though the numbers really haven't backed it up, he just he he's looked better all year than he has at, at basically any point last year, besides that first week of the season two weeks of the season yeah and the one other guy i want to mention before we do another perfect transition to the next game is rj barrett so in in the Cavs game rj barrett was four for 15 in this game rj barrett was four for 19 so he hits a bit a bit of a rough rough patch i think uh they said until the pacers game against everyone except the pacers he was like oh for twenty one from three, which is bad. That's historically still bad, true. I actually, say again, hmm. yeah, it's still true. We'll see what he does against the Hawks tomorrow. But perfect segue. RJ Barrett turns that all around in this game against the Pacers, who he just owns this year, despite the the one loss on their against the Pacers on opening night. RJ Barrett comes in this game. 
puts up 25 points in a four-point victory against the Pacers. The Pacers have been hot. They've been one of the better teams in the East. I know TJ Warren just went down with an injury. He's out indefinitely. But, you know, you can only play the guys on the other team. If if TJ Warren was there, we probably would have beat them by more, honestly. <laughs> I can only assume. Probably. But, but I mean, uh, R.J. Barrett was the, the story of this game. He, he puts up 25, as I just mentioned. Eight for five. Four for five from three. Um, just... If the Knicks want to win basketball games, R.J. Barrett shooting threes is very, very helpful. I know um, I also said that if R.J. wants to be a star in this league, they were playing Sabonis guarding him at the end of the game, switching with Miles Turner and Sabonis in the pick and roll. And he can't be guarded by those two type of players in the in the future. I know they were they weren't doing a terrible job, but it should just be not even a question of of that being an option for the Pacers in the future. But I know Tom's our resident R.J. Barrett guy, so we'll we'll throw it to him and let him know, let him tell us what he saw. I mean, the three-point shooting, it, it is kind of bizarre after going through several games where he couldn't hit anything. I, I feel like I came into this one, you just don't expect him to, to hit them at this point, I think. But for some reason at Indiana he's just he can't miss. So I mean that's that's the first thing you go to in this game but in general it's it's what he does attacking the rim and getting into the paint. Like the Knicks in general had 56 points in the paint to the Pacers 26 so they're plus 30 in the paint. And when you dominate the interior like that, you know we've seen the last couple of games sort of d- decided from behind the arc but I mean, this one, it was just kind of undeniable that... You remember the first game, DeMontis Sabonis was unstoppable, and it just seemed like like Mitch couldn't do anything with him. But in this one, it was sort of the opposite. Like, the, the Knicks ended up getting a ton of offensive rebounds. Uh, Robinson uh, scored 10 second-chance points alone. And, I mean, it was just... That was the story, was, was really kind of how the Knicks dominated the paint, and R.J. Barrett was a big part of that. Yeah, and I think... Uh... The other thing that you like to see, I mean, it's not like that he got to the free throw line a ton, but he got to the free throw line six times, and uh, four of those were at the end of the game when he was, you know, it was still within striking distance, and he hit all of the free throw, the clutch free throws to kind of put the seal on the game, which you like to see from who you're hoping will be your your best player in the the next few years. And I know that um, Mike Breen mentioned it in both of the last two games, because both in this game and in the Raptors game, he was on the free throw line late, and, you know, Losing big against the Raptors or, you know, winning a close game against the Pacers. Guy's a professional. He lo- he has the same face on and he just goes to work and does the same thing. So uh, appreciate that from him, you know. That's huge. Those were clutch free throws. And, you know, for someone who struggled so much from the free throw line last year, like that is – you're right, Kenny. That's such an encouraging sign to see for him because he is someone who plays very physically. We've said it several times before. He gets to the rim a ton and he's going to have opportunities at the free throw line just from the nature of his game. And if he can knock those down, that just it improves his chances of being a you know a star player immeasurably. And the yeah. free throws have been just it's been a non-story basically all year. He's shooting through six games now, um, seventy nine point three percent, just like normal good number twenty three for twenty nine overall. So. It's, it's just been really nice that at least, you know, we're still waiting on the three-point shooting to come along with RJ, and it did against Indiana. The free throw stuff, I'm, like, starting to not even think about during games, which is cool. 
Yeah, yeah and I, I put I put one tweet out there because I thought he threw like a very special pass that he really doesn't do very often. You know, he's gotten really good out of pick and rolls, driving over to his left and then throwing kind of a left hand hook pass into the, over to the corner, sort of like a skip pass. And he does that pretty much in his sleep at this point. It's a it's a pass you need to have in your bag. You see all the great uh, facilitators do it. James Harden is particularly good at it, but. Um, I've, I'd really never seen him do it going to his right, and he, he did that um, against the Pacers. He he d- had a screen from Mitch. He went over to his right and threw like a right-handed kind of hook, kind of over-the-head pass to Julius Randle in the corner who hit a big-time three in the fourth quarter. So that was um, that was just really cool to see. It was just kind of a small, you know, in-the-weeds thing. But it just shows, you know, further development of Barrett's offensive game and, and further, you know, diversity of his of his skills. It was a two-point game at the time he did it, too, so he did it in a moment that mattered, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other big story on this one was, uh, or maybe not big, but the return of our couple of injured guys. Austin Rivers actually made his season bit debut against the Raptors, but not much to say about that. He had seven points. Um, but this one, he was really, really important. Um, he he kind of assisted R.J. Barrett in leading us to victory. Uh, he had 15 points off the bench on 6-for-9 shooting, 3-for-6 from 3. Um, very good. And then the other guy who came back was a fan favorite of everybody, uh, Emmanuel Quickly, who we have very high hopes for. Um, maybe unfairly, but who? sorry, just deal with it, Emmanuel, and <laughs> deliver as, as, as you have been thus far. Um, quickly, I know we've mentioned – looks like a veteran out there he's he's said that he studies players like james harden and how they draw fouls and you could see it in his game which um may be ugly a lot of people don't want like watching james harden and trey young draw fouls but free throw lines where you get free points quickly had nine points on three for four shooting from the field one for two from three so i mean we could start with quickly because just because we love them already. So whoever, I'll, I'll leave it open to anybody. Kenny, what are you thinking about quickly over there? I, like, I, I'm not huge on watching James Harden. I agree that it's just not great to watch. I respect what he does. Um, quickly, I very much enjoy watching. Like, I think he's got good, a good burst of speed. He's, uh, you know, a better passer than I was led to believe coming into the season. And he's a, a good scorer at the point guard position who has the ability to shoot. I know, um, He's also, you know, a special free throw shooter and, you know, his ability to both draw fouls and I think in college he shot over 90% from the free throw line. Like that's going to allow him to transition into a solid player. And I know the big question of him was that he, you know, was labeled a a small shooting guard coming in. But uh, the whole, you know, point that people have been making is that the only reason he was playing shooting guard is because Kentucky played a three guard lineup. And so he was forced off of the ball. But he's shown an ability to play play point guard a little bit in this league. And we're, we're hoping that that becomes a more regular thing. And, you know, he continues to develop that. And I know when, before the draft, we, we talked about the Kentucky guys coming into the league and showing something that they didn't show in college. And for Emmanuel quickly, it could be this, this point guard position. And, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of my friends who are Knicks fans and, you know, our cousin, Michael, if he's listening, he said the same thing to us. Like he loves quickly. And my, my uh, college roommate said the same thing. He, he loves watching quickly. Cause you know, he's the first, this is the first time we've had a point guard in a long time who seems like he can control the offense, shoot the ball. You know, he's, he's, 
he could be a, a plus defender. Um, he's a little small. So far, I haven't seen anything to to make me think that he's a negative defender. So like he's doing all the things you want from a point guard, um, and he's doing it solid. Feels like he just has like all the right instincts. It's not even so much. There's not a very big statistical database on quickly in the NBA because he's played two games totaling 29 minutes. If I did that mental math right, but just the vibes around him have been so good. And it, it's felt like he's made the right play pretty much every time, including preseason. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe he can't be the point guard who knows, but so far he's showing at least a little bit of playmaking ability that maybe as a bench playmaker, a secondary playmaker in the lineup, it's it's very valuable to just have a guy who can do even as much as he does, even if he can't necessarily be like the floor general point, traditional point guard you think about. It's, it's just been really refreshing. He does all the right things. He has the right defensive instincts. Maybe the size becomes an issue. The floater's fun. I, I can't say enough good things about him. Really glad I decided in August he was my guy. Got really lucky there. All over quickly. I mean, so I, I also really like him. You know, he had the he did have the three turnovers in just 15 minutes to his two assists. So like there, there are going to be growing pains. He's a rookie. We totally ex- fully expect that. I, you know, the drawing fouls thing. I do get really annoyed when other players on other teams do that. He will hook his off hand like on the defender and and pretend to be going up for a shot refs used to call that a shooting foul now the the nba has kind of made it a point of emphasis to make that if it's not like a natural shooting motion it's gonna be on the floor and you know you do that enough and you get the you get the team in the bonus and you get to the free throw line eventually anyway but i don't know it, it i could understand why some people would be annoyed with quickly's tactics they're very lou williams-esque um just trying to game the system and get to the line it's kind of nice when the guy in your team's doing it but when other Another, when players from other teams do it, I do absolutely hate that. Greg, I know you brought it up initially. What do you, what do you think of that? Um, I mean, it, it's tough sometimes when you're doing like the the really really egregious ones where you're just clearly where your goal was 100 percent to draw a foul and not to play basketball. So those are tough. But like you said, he's on our team, so I'm I'm all for it. Do it. That's that's Put- like exactly what I was gonna say on the topic. Like he's not, it's on your team. I don't care. It's yeah. fun. When, I don't mind having a guy that annoys the opponent and opposing fans a lot to play against. Uh, that was me in in high school. Tom can attest. <laughs> you were annoying people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other guy I mentioned was Austin Rivers. He yep. he was good. So, I mean, we knew coming into the season, we thought we got a big time steal getting Austin Rivers, who played substantial minutes on a good Houston Rockets team and it appears that based on this one game only we did um he was he was good he think he if there wasn't if the Knicks just didn't start putting up highlights in the last two minutes of the game he would have had the highlight of the game where he he crossed up Victor Oladipo pretty badly and then he put in a reverse layup um and he had he had those like back to back jab steps, then hit a three. He, he had a couple plays that uh make a highlight reel. Yeah, man, the that that crossover did stuff. That crossover on Depot, like Greg mentioned, though, was just nasty. Like he is so quick. Rivers is. I I didn't really expect. I, I just didn't watch a ton of him. Um, it's it's pretty shocking how fast he is with the ball, and 
to me, I, I think the, the one downside of him is he seems to kind of make up his mind before he does a move. He's like, okay, now I'm going to do this move versus reacting to what the defense is going to do, which gets him in trouble sometimes. Um, he also had three turnovers to two assists in 17 minutes. But shooting-wise, like he was 6-9 from the field, 3-6 from three. Like he, he just looked – talk about a guy with confidence. He's kind of got that quickly <laughs> – mold to them where they're just like they know they belong and they they're both like fast decisive players who can know they can beat their guy off the off the dribble so um i've been i've been impressed with the river so far I've been happy with his play yeah and we liked him and now now for the highlight reel i was mentioning before um tom i'll let you start us off there was a big time alfred payton play that you were the biggest fan of so I'll let you walk us through that one. Yeah, I I definitely uh, put this on Twitter as what was possibly the the most important play of the game because um, I'm trying to think of what the I'm just pulling it up here what the time situation we was. There are like four minutes left, right? Yeah, yep. think about that. Yep. So four oh four is when they scored. Yep. So yeah. So about four minutes left with the Knicks down three. R.J. Barrett took on like a was it it was a dribble handoff from Mitch and he drives hard to his left and does like a little euro step in the paint and gets completely stonewalled by the Pacers defense he has nowhere to go and he throws just a, a really bad pass sort of behind him uh, really to to no one um it, it could have been absolutely disastrous and Alfred Payton was the closest guy there and he had to just beat a couple Pacers to the ball and like Everyone knows when they receive a pass, they're supposed to go to the ball to, to kind of um, alleviate any any defensive pressure. But like this was a really precarious situation. If if Alfred Payton didn't get the ball, then the Pacers are going the other way in a, with a three on zero fast break, and they go up five with with four minutes to go and the momentum. Instead, Alfred Payton secures the ball and throws an alley oop to Mitch for a dunk to put the Knicks down one with four minutes to go, and it was just. It was huge. Like as soon as he did that, like the the energy in the game changed, and it was to me probably the most important play of the whole game. Yeah, and we're talking about a four point swing with four minutes left in a close game, and that that in and of itself is is big time. And the, the Knicks just put on a few more highlights down the stretch of this game. They they closed this one out again, just like they did against the Cavs. Um, the main highlights were Julius Randle guarding DeMontis Sabonis. He shot, He somehow stops him, and he gets real pumped. Um, Sabonis misses a shot and then commits a loose ball foul. That, that's when the Knicks were down two. Later on, the Knicks, or Knicks were up two, sorry. Knicks up two again. Julius Randle just creeps into the passing lane, steals the ball, gets a fast break dunk with um, – not a lot of time left. One thirty-two left in the game. Put the Knicks up four. That didn't that didn't seal it, but it made us feel comfortable, a lot more comfortable than we were. And then the biggest highlight of the game, when the Knicks were up four, um, Malcolm Brogdon tries to step into three. Mitchell Robinson is 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 sagging. He's pretty far off of him, but Mitch has become known for his blocking of three point attempts. Um, he's always willing to jump at a three-point pump fake <laughs> or, or a three-point shot. And, and it worked out in this case because it was it was a real attempt. So 40 seconds left in the game, 196, Knicks are up. 
Brogdon tries to step into this three. Robinson just blocks it. Ball's a, it's in the air. It's going to be either Brogdon getting the ball back or Mitchell Robinson getting it back. Robinson gets it. Somehow is palming it in his left hand only, and he just throws it ahead to, um, I think it was Alfred Payton. Think so. And Alfred Payton is running the fast break. Two-on-one, perfectly executed. Austin Rivers gets a layup to put us up six with 35 seconds left. And that's when we felt like we had sealed it. Yeah, and let's not forget that at that point, Malcolm Brogdon was, I think, seven for nine from three, stepping into a three in a four-point game. And so, like, timing-wise, with 45 seconds left, that's that's a huge play. to And, you know, could be a five-point swing, depending on whether it goes in or not, but ends up being a, a fast-break layup for the Knicks instead of a three-point attempt for a guy who's really hot from three right then. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And, was, and like, like that uh I mean that block was obviously incredible. It's what Mitch does, but the I mean Greg, like you said, just securing that ball after the block and the and the scoop pass he made to Peyton, like that was even more impressive just cuz we know Mitch can can block shots on the perimeter, but just that all the skill and the athleticism it took to to go up and secure it and then just toss that ball ahead as he's falling down like just the coordination it's it's uncommon for a big to be able to make a play like that and he did it in the biggest moment of the game and arguably yeah, it's very very impressive the, the one-handed pass up was just I don't, I don't know that I've seen that yeah ever maybe I don't know yeah, I have no idea how it ended up in his left hand. I don't know if he caught it that way or if, like it was very quick. And it was just a crazy scoop pass. Yeah, and it was quick and it got us into a fast break rather than just securing it and, and holding it, which was which was good. I don't know if we got anything else on these three games or this Pacers game to touch on or any any otherwise we can move on to the big topics which I'll make up on the fly. <laughs> I think we got it. All right. That's got it. it. That's it. I mean, I think the first my one big ever topic, <laughs> my big topic, which is pretty much always my one of my main topics, is wondering what the minutes are going to look like when we get healthy. Like when Franks comes back and Dennis Smith Jr. is healthy and available and Obi Toppin is available, what is going on with this? Rotation. I know we've seen that Tibbs is willing to ride his guys. Um, R.J. Barrett played 42 minutes against this Pacers because he was the hot hand. As Tom mentioned, Bullock and Randall both played over 40 minutes in the Cavs game, but the Knicks only really had eight or nine players in that game even available, so that one was more excusable or, or um, understandable. So when Frank comes back, I feel like he should play. Dennis Smith Jr., I think we're all – we would be okay if he just sat and watched. Um, but then Toppin, be surprised we just if he the comes number. back and has minutes. Yeah. yeah. And then Toppin is our number eight pick who like seemingly has to play. So where are these minutes coming from for Frank and or Toppin? Kenny, I'll let you take the first guess. I know Bullock's been playing a ton of minutes. Can either of these – Guys, take some minutes from Bullock, or where else are they coming from? Uh, I think we're just going to end up in a situation like the Yankees where someone is perpetually injured and someone else just steps into their place and takes 
you know, moves flawlessly on. And then we eventually make the playoffs, right? We can only I, hope. Honestly, honestly, though, like I just have – I have no idea what's going to happen. And, like, I – it's it's tough to even venture a guess because, like, Austin Rivers just came back and he looks good. And Burks was our second best player and he's going to come back and, and get some minutes. And, you know, uh, Frank looked good. And every single time Frank has the chance to kind of cement himself into a role, he – gets injured which as the biggest frank supporter out there it's very frustrating to me and like all of these guys look good so like maybe it's a a good problem to have but i just don't know what's gonna happen man i don't know and that, that's basically what i was gonna say someone else will get hurt and even if not immediately i expect other injuries to happen during the season as i think everyone does um yeah. I am. Not, I'm really not sure how how it's going to be possible, particularly for Frank and, and DSJ to get any sort of substantial minutes, other than if we take a few minutes every game from Bullock and, and get Frank somehow get him to like ten minutes a night. Tibbs just famously has the the shorter, smaller rotations that. Uh, but Bullock does feel like the easy takes a minutes away from him guy. I don't know. He's played yeah. like every amount of minutes you could really expect from him. And he started every game. He had a 16 minute game, 25, 27, 33, 38, and 40, 41 really. So, yeah. and I mean, in, in the last three games, yeah, Bullock's got 37.5 minutes per game, which is a lot, but also like Burks was out for those three games. And I've, think he's ahead on the depth chart of of dsj and and frank so like he's gonna get some of those minutes and then you know maybe Knox's the last three games 21.1 minutes maybe he loses some when obi comes back and maybe he you know even loses some to to one of the guards coming back in a a smaller rotation i i don't know man yeah, to, to me, Obi is the tough one because I, I think you can squeeze enough minutes out of. I mean, even when Reggie Bullock is rolling, you don't need him playing thirty plus minutes a night. Like, he's he's a good 25, 28 minutes per night guy, even when he's at his best. Um, Burks is kind of in that same range. I gotta say, I you think that um, R.J. Barrett? I mean, he's been averaging thirty eight minutes a game on the season. That's a lot. It's a lot for a young guy. It's a lot just in general. You probably don't need him playing quite so many minutes. I know he's supposed to be our our guy, but I mean, I, I think we can see him develop and see the things we want from him in, call it 33 minutes a night, 34 minutes a night, and I think you open up some minutes that way. He was Barrett was playing some four last game against the Pacers even, <laughs> um, and so I, I think Obi Toppin could get some minutes there, but in general, it is going to be tough because, you know, Mitch is going to get his 25 to 29 minutes a game at center. Nerland's Noel, um, he's been averaging just 15 minutes per game. But, like, Randall plays a lot of minutes, some of them at center. Um, it, it, it's just Obi Toppin, I'm a little worried about where he's getting his minutes from. And then once he does get in, how I've said it over and over, just like how he's going to be used, what lineups he'll be in, and kind of what he'll be asked to do in those lineups. It's difficult to envision a like a perfect situation for Obi Toppin, which is not what you kind of want to say about your 
your number eight overall pick who, who fell to you, who was supposed to go earlier. You know, we, we kind of thought of him as this steal, this NBA ready player. Um, he's only played one game. There's no need to, to like hit the panic button or anything like that. It's just, I'm trying to use my imagination to see how he's going to be used. Um, I, you know, in his ideal situation, how he'll be used. And I, I don't, I'm having a hard time picturing it. And Obi in in the first game Obi played, he got to 24 minutes. It is going to be really tough to imagine without another injury, him getting back up to that number consistently just with the easy answer is take like five minutes from Randall, but he's playing really, really well and deserves those minutes. So tough to say that Noel, you're not going to play him less than what he's playing right now. Maybe Mitch starts getting in consistent foul trouble again. So that's, that would, in a <laughs> we don't want that out, either. <laughs> we don't want, we're not rooting for that. And yeah, I mean, it, it is such a weird spot for Obi. Like you said, he's our, he was our top 10 pick and, as is when we saw him, he's he had weird usage and I don't know. He's supposed to be NBA ready, and he was like a one of the favorites for rookie of the year because of that and the perceived skill level of the rest of the Knicks roster. I don't know. I get, it probably is a lot less of an issue than we're thinking about because just someone will get hurt and eventually <laughs> someone will be yeah. traded off the team or something but it doesn't feel great yeah. right now for the people who are watching this season just for the young guys to get minutes, which long-term I understand. And you're right. Randall getting 38 minutes per game is probably too much, even for even considering he's in like the best shape of his life and all that. That's just a lot of minutes despite him yeah. playing well and all that. Like he's not going to continue playing. He's not going to keep hitting 50% of his threes. He's not going to keep knocking down all these long mid rangers, these step back long twos he's been hitting he's just been on fire and so it's made sense to play him these minutes but at some point he'll cool off and I you know I've said before it's it's I'm not worried about him cooling off from the field I think as long as he's playing with this same mindset where he's just so pass first um I think that's been the biggest surprise to me this season but you know that it's been that mentality that Randall has so I'm Again, I'm not worried about him like missing fewer shots, but at some point you're going to want to just play him less, preserve his legs. It's a long season. Um, it's a compact season. So top and taking some minutes from him is the easy answer, and I think that will happen to some extent. Yeah, and- It's tough to imagine like how many you can really take away from Randall because you're still going to want to play at minimum like the 33 minutes per game, like bare minimum yeah. the way he's going right now. For for the last three games when we've been so depleted, you know, both Randall and Barrett are just under forty a game. So, you know, if they knock you knock them down seven each, that's fourteen minutes you're freed up. And, you know, like I said, Bullock has been at thirty seven and a half minutes a game, you knock him down ten, you're up to twenty four minutes to spread around. I'm All right. Just, just throwing out Problem stuff. Solved. In theory Problem and in solved. theory, I guess the like Burks isn't back right now, so it doesn't directly help this particular discussion but when he was playing he was getting well like 25 minutes a night or so when he was playing 27 minutes a night so he he doesn't need to play that many get him down more to like 20 or so There's right. a, and then they can get creative with it the other topic i wanted to touch on which we've we've started to touch on is is julius randall the the greatest player of all time right now uh, averaging 21.2, 10.5 boards, and 7.2 assists, which um, I think they said his his 
season high last season was seven, and now he's averaging 7.2 through six games, which is a surprising turnaround. But like Tom said, he's not going to shoot 50% from three the whole season, probably. I guess I'm not going to say that definitively. But what do we expect this guy's numbers to really look like at the end of the season? He is averaging 21.2 points per game, which on the Pelicans during a season there, he averaged 21.4. And last year on the Knicks, he averaged 19.5. So 21.2 is an attainable number for him to average points-wise. And rebound-wise, he's averaging 10.5. He's averaged 10.2 before in his career on the Lakers and 9.7 last year. So that seems attainable again. It's just this assist number and the shooting percentages from three at least, 50% from three will go down. But is he going to average about over six assists on this season, I guess is my question. And then do you agree that those other – numbers are attainable is this guy going to be a triple double threat throughout the season i think he probably does the russell westbrook and averages a triple double and wins mvp and then does it again next year and no one cares Um, (laughs) but no i think uh i think like tom said the numbers are going to regress i 8.0 assists. I don't know if that's going to sustain. I think eventually teams will start to wise up to him, but maybe that makes him, you know, better, um, a better scorer. And then, you know, things shift like that. I think that's the the great power of him being, you know, a a guy who's looking to pass first is it, it gives him the ability to, to make the defenders guard other people. Um, I think that the three point percentage will probably come back to around league average. I'll say ends the season in the 35 to 37% range. But even that is good. And and the other thing is, like, what's not showing up here is what Tom talked about in that, or maybe it was you, Greg, talking about in that possession against uh, Sabonis, he's, where he's shown, you know, at least some ability and, and desire to play defense. And if he keeps doing that, even when the numbers regress, he's still going to be a much better player than we saw last year. So I, I expect the numbers to come down. I'll say for the season, assist number comes down to – you know, a little over six. I'll, I'll take the over on the six number you put out there, Greg. And But I think he's still going to be a much better player than, than we saw last year. And the question now is, is he a part of the future? Is he trade bait? I don't know. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a big-time question. I don't, think, I don't think I'm ready for that one yet. I but DVD, what are you thinking about these numbers? This. I need to see two more weeks <laughs> of it before uh... – we get into long-term thoughts with Randall, but uh, at least scoring wise, I think he can keep up this number because he's basically done it before. And, uh, and also like just right now, his shot selection, I mean, the three point number will come down, but overall shot selection has been, he's been taking mostly just good shots, making the right decisions because he's so pass first. He's not forcing them up. So it's not like just, the rates falling a little bit will, will hurt there. Perhaps similarly to his three-point rate coming down, the rest of the team's three-point rate will come down a little bit. We talked about the regression to the mean in that Raptor game. I think a lot – I don't know how many of his assists are coming on threes, but I assume he's benefiting from the Knicks overall shooting pretty well from three early this year. Uh, it'll come down a little bit. I don't, I don't see him maintaining the seven-point uh, – or the seven-assist per game average just because uh, that was his career high before. Like we like we said, there's the mindset is very promising. It's been refreshing to see 
he like is making people better around him which is something i never would have imagined coming into the year given what we saw a year ago i don't know i'm just along for the ride now we love this guy absolutely love him and and, him and and, and part of it quickly is just like I mentioned earlier, it's more his his approach to the game. So I'm not as worried, like I said, about his numbers sustaining or or how they'll hold up. But it's just like there's so many stats that you look at that indicate just how differently he is playing this year and how much more generous he's been, and and just sharing the ball with his teammates and and how that's kind of led to just more success on the offensive end. I, I'm gonna throw a few stats out here. Um, this year, he's averaging 68 passes per game through six games, which is among the league leaders. It's like fourth in the whole league. That's 68 versus last year when he averaged 46 passes per game. Um, on on post-ups, he's passing out of 54% of his post-ups. So over half of his post-ups, he's actually passing the ball out of it. Last year, that number was closer to a third. It was 36% of his post touches he was passing. Otherwise, he was going up for shots. And then the biggest one is out of his drives. This year, he's passing out of 60% of his drives, which is among the league leaders in the league, among the high-volume drivers. Last year, he he was half. Last year, he passed out of 31% of his drives. Like He's just looking to get his teammates involved at such a different level this year. And I think that as long as that sustains, I'm not as worried about like the field goal percentage and all that stuff. It's just getting the other guys involved. I was worried before the season, you listened to the preseason pod, I was concerned about his, you know, the contract year. Would he be trying to get his stats? Would he be so would he be unconcerned about the development of the younger guys? Instead, I mentioned this on, on Nick's film school, like he's he's getting them involved and it's leading to positive results. And uh, like he's getting all this this positive feedback from it. He's getting all this acclaim from analysts, from media, from other players. And like that just further encourages it, encourages him to play this way. And I think that's been like the bright spot of the whole season is that Julius Randle has become this player. The Knicks are playing better because of it. And it helps the develop the development of the young guys. That's just the, the best of all worlds there. Tom with the, the quick plug for his appearance on Nick's film school there. Go check that out if you haven't. Uh, but yeah, Tom, I, I 100% agree with what you're saying. Um, and, you know, we said before the, the season, there was something about watching him play last year that, like, his numbers looked better than he was. And this year, you know, he's averaging a turnover and a half more than last year, but I'd say he looks like a much better player. And I think it's because he's become a, a pass-first player and the, the assist-to-turnover ratio is much better because he's averaging a lot more assists than he did last year. Um, you know, last year it was about one-to-one. Now it's he's averaging 7.2 assists and four-and-a-half turnovers, so a significant improvement even though the turnover numbers are high. Like, it's just much better to watch. And you know, that's that's my my saying the same thing Tom did, but Tom used a lot of stats and numbers I'm using the eye test. We're both saying the same thing. Well, and Kenny, back to that eye test, like a lot of the, a lot of his turnovers last year were off of passes where passing was the last resort for him, right? Like he'd spin, he'd get stuck in the air, he wouldn't have anywhere to go, and then he'd pass. It's like this year at least his turnovers are more like proactive passing, trying to get other guys involved. And I just think that, like we said, the whole 
vibe of the team completely changes when it's someone who's being unselfish versus someone who's just like trying to bail himself out of a situation he got himself into spinning into a triple team and throwing it out of bounds like it's just a completely different kind of turnover and you know that's that's where you're seeing that reflected with that assist to turnover ratio yeah and this year he's averaging like four and a half turnovers which is more than usual but now he's averaging turners turnovers in the way that James Harden and Russell Westbrook and LeBron James always lead the league in turnovers just because they have the ball and they work magic, and sometimes it doesn't work out that well. But the juice is worth the squeeze in the end. So I think that covers the Knicks topics. I don't know if anyone has anything else. Or we can move on to the the fan favorite segment, uh, even though I've, I've never heard of a, a fan say anything about this segment. Or any segments. But I, uh, or any segment. I, I assume it's a favorite. Yeah, let us know. It's our favorite. Because we don't get to talk about the Knicks, even though they're good this year. They're a playoff team. We're going to be going until August, I guess. Probably yeah. win the chip. But anyways, if if they get back bad, we're going to be wondering what else is on. What else are we watching on TV? I've been watching Arrested Development on a... Netflix, just another run through. I've I've seen it before. It's a funny show. Entertains me. I've also watched uh, Murder on Middle Beach. I saw the first three episodes this week. It's about a murder in Madison, Connecticut. We're from Connecticut, other than Baby da- Big Baby David. So I was watching that. It's about uh, the son. His mom got murdered, and he's making a documentary, like asking people questions about everything about the situation it's pretty interesting it's an unsolved case so they don't resolve it at the end i still have to watch the last episode but i'm i know that but it's good i've been entertained it's the first episode they convince you as one person next episode they convince you as someone else and third episode they do the same like kind of like a good formula kind of like the undoing (laughs) right right kenny Oh. oh yeah kenny what have you been watching um I started watching The Undoing, and then I stopped because my girlfriend watched the rest without me while I was working. Oh, that happens. Uh, but well, what- I mean, I'll be honest with you. If you saw the first episode, you saw the whole show. Yeah, <laughs> right, everybody. Yeah. And that was the other thing having having been uh, the show been spoiled for me um, by Big Baby David. I, 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 did, I didn't. Did, who, who did that? I didn't they feel could be the need. Any one of us. I didn't feel the need to continue. Uh, well, did she? Did she tell you who actually did it? No. Okay, so it BB, hasn't been BBD spoiled did. for you though. Um, I didn't. But I didn't say anything. But what? Uh, what? I, what I saw is <laughs> <laughs> check the receipts. What I saw is that on Netflix, uh, the the la- new season, I assume the last season of Cobra Kai came out, and that's. Uh, Maybe in November, I I finished watching through that, and that that's that's been a good show. If you guys haven't watched that, it's uh, based Dude. on the Karate Kid movies with uh, mm. with the same same people as the Karate Kid mo- movies, except they're adults, and now they're training the next generation. And uh, it's it's a complex show with complex characters and a lot of emotions, and you see different perspectives of what happened in the original movies. Good good show so far. I haven't started the last season yet, though. All right. BBD, what else is on over there? 
Well, I believe last episode I told you guys I had begun watching through Gilmore Girls for the first time. I had just finished season one, I believe, when we when we last spoke. I've watched two more uh, seasons since then. Or I have one more, one and a half more episodes of season three to go. Uh, and then I'm I'm near the halfway point. I'm pretty excited. Uh, so so how many well. ep- how many episodes per season are we talking here? Uh, I think the f- I think the first two seasons were each 21 episodes of 40 minutes per episode. This season so you're is putting 23. In, you're putting in work over I w- there. It's a type yeah. of show that's pretty easy for me to watch while I do other stuff, which plays into it. Um, so I've been like watching at work, just throw it up on the phone. Uh, headphones I mean, you in. watched. 40 over 40 yeah, so let's 40 not minute do episodes math on it um <laughs> <laughs> we don't need so, to we don't need to discuss just how much gilmore girls i've watched recently but as far as other shows my parents i think just finished you so that's a show that we've been discussing in in our house which i think we talked about on this on this show at some point last year maybe could be yeah, that we've meant we mentioned it and, Jake, and Jake was uh, a- they didn't like it <laughs> but also, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair assessment. I, I, I watched the watching. first. Fu- I watched the first five episodes and I gave up on it. I so, enjoyed I? watching it. I agree. It's not the best thing I've ever watched, but I enjoy it. And they're watching I, Ozark for the first time now. They've moved on. Ozark's good. Mm. I watched. I watched Ozark. Um, can I throw out that uh, both Greg and Big Baby David are watching Connecticut-based shows? That I basically to drop that line in there. Basically the same show. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm. I got to find a, a mystery, Connecticut mysteries going on. I've, both. I've been watching Mystic Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> the old Julia yeah. Roberts vehicle. Um, well, I was at the first Connecticut show that came to a movie. But I've, I mean, really, I've just been going back to 30 Rock. Um, my wife, Rose, hasn't seen all of it. We are finishing it up. It's just a great nighttime show to, to put on as you wind down. Um, I'm trying to think of, of anything else that's like particularly interesting. I mean, Greg mentioned Arrested Development. Uh, I love that show. And, and BBD mentioned Ozark. Those are both Jason Bateman TV shows as well. So mm-hmm. Connecticut, Connect- Bateman, a lot of connections here. Um, but I don't know. I'll, I'll try and find something for next week's pod that's kind of a little uh, more off the beaten path than 30 Rock, which is just an amazing show. Greg, did you mention Wonder Woman last last episode? When yeah, I wasn't here. I did. Yeah, good. good. Yeah, just want to make sure that was touched on. Oh yeah, we got. We it. did. We talked about. It. I think that covers it for us. We'll we'll watch some more Knicks this week. Except I just realized that it doesn't cover it for us because we have to tell. I have to tell you the predictions for next week. I don't even know who we're playing yeah. next week. We play the I Hawks. Do. They play the Hawks Monday night. It's a four game week. Hawks Monday night, then we're back home for three. Utah on Wednesday night, OKC on Friday night, and uh, Denver Sunday evening. It's a 6 p.m. start, so that kind of – that's not the worst timing for us, but we got the next, I think, five Sundays they play, but I found out today, which stinks for us recording this podcast that we do on Sundays that we can't do it this early. That's a tough schedule. But that's the job. All right. I mean, I took the first guess last time. Tom got the last guess, so we'll let him go first. Or not guess. Yeah, you didn't guess at all. That's what it's going to be. 
you knew. Um, I mean, we're a 500 team. The, the safest thing to say is just two and two and to, and to move it on to the next person. Um, Hmm. And uh, but I do like to live dangerously. But for the sake of keeping this pod moving, I'm actually going to take that two and two record. Um, do, and do I have to say who I think they're going to yeah. beat and who I think they're going to lose to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's our new new thing this that's year. That's the new wrinkle for this year. That's the new thing. It got okay. pretty tough Fans when we could all, Not that we yeah. not that we have very many hard rules, and I don't think it was even a hard rule before that we all had to. <laughs> different records but it's tough the episodes we have four or five people and there's only three or four games in a week uh, yeah i think it's i think that we i mean it's the obvious thing like you beat the hawks you lose to the jazz you beat the thunder you lose to the nuggets i think that's um that's the most obvious thing if i didn't pick that i'd feel pretty stupid with the first overall pick so yeah beat beat hawks lose the jazz beat thunder lose the nuggets boom two and two well done. Kenny, I'll let you go next since you, you didn't even guess last time. Yeah, I mean, OK, or Atlanta is 4-2, and two, I think, on the season. They're playing surprisingly well. They have some big wins. Um, so were the Cavs. So were the Cavs. Uh, I, how's Denver playing? I'm, I'm trying to They're talk bad. out. They're last in the Western Conference. They're 1-4. Uh, yeah. OK, OK. Mm-hmm. That that makes a difference. So can I can I say 2-2 two and two, or do I – and then I pick different teams, or what? What are the rules? Yeah, that's okay. We we decided last week that uh, you can say two and two as long as you pick different a different schedule. Okay, or you can pick the same. I don't think we actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say we go two and two. We beat Atlanta and Denver. Okay. Yeah. Lose to Oklahoma City. That's a surprise. That's a letdown game. Mm. But uh, then we beat Denver. So. All right. BBD, what are you thinking over there? I already know the answer, so I'll go last. I'm trying, <laughs> trying to do my little bit of research that I can here. That's what I was uh, doing while I was talking to Tom and trying to yeah. say things to cover up my and research. I'm, I'm trying to match that formula, baby. I, um, it really, you guys are not being subtle. We all know that that's what you're doing. <laughs> was it subtle that I, I didn't it's do? Pretty it. clear. I wasn't necessarily aiming for subtlety. I believe, in fact, I I led this uh, this my portion of this segment with. I'm looking at the other thing and trying to <laughs> do some research while I come up with a guess. You know, I want to say we'll beat Atlanta, but we're on the road. It's the end of the road trip. I think we lose that one. Um. And I, but I do think we will get the OKC game at the end of the week. Atlanta is going to be the letdown one, at, uh, because you know, they just beat the Nets. They're feeling pretty good about that, but then they lose to Cleveland, who has been good so far this year. But the Hawks thought they were going to get that win. They lose ninety six ninety one on Saturday, so they're coming in hungry. They really want to just take care of business against the Knicks. So Knicks will lose that Monday game. Uh, Wait, I, you, I do think did you say the at the Jazz, beginning they were going to win that game and then beat Oklahoma no, City? No, they're going to beat Oklahoma. Uh, maybe I said win. I mean the Hawks. We will lose. Okay. Uh, yeah, so lose to the Hawks. Game, yeah. Beat OKC. Lose to Utah. So we start the week going too, but we beat OKC. I have a weird feeling about that Denver game. I feel like they're just Sunday night weirdness is going to happen. I I wanted to say we're going to get steal one of those Denver Utah games. 
And I'll just say we take the Denver one. That'll feel good. So we beat OKC Denver to go into this episode and everything bad. I want to say from the Monday, Wednesday games will become not at the forefront of my mind because I'll have won the last two, which has sort of happened on both episodes since the season began for me, which is a little annoying, but kind of good. I respect those calls. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say I have to be the optimist here. I'll just say three and one Ooh. only loss coming to Utah. So, I mean, Atlanta, like we said, the Cavs were undefeated when we played them, so whatever. I think the Jazz are good. They have Jordan Clarkson, so that's almost (laughs) an automatic loss for us. (laughs) Oklahoma City is like... Wait, what team is Nawaba on? He's on the Rockets. Rockets. uh, I I thought he might be on the, um, the Hawks, and I was worried about that. Like... We have to beat the Thunder. That just literally just have to. And then the Denver, like I said, they're the worst team in the West right now. Maybe they'll they'll want to write the ship, but everybody wants to win all their games. So it's it's not always up to you. So that's my guess. Three and one. Everybody else says two and two. So as a Knicks fan, you'd be happy with any of those results. True. So we'll talk to you next week. We'll see what happens. Um, like us. Subscribe. Follow us on all social media. Leave a five-star review like if, you feel, if you feel, if you feel get, so inclined. Get BBD verified before Jake. Yeah, come on, guys. It'll be hilarious. Let's do it. It's hilarious. <laughs> all right. Follow BBD on the internet. Go Knicks. And in real life. And in real life. Knicks tape. Knicks tape.